You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Shouldn't you be at home? It's a lovely chip! Oh, it's a brilliant goal from Lord Bohinen! Still it's not away. Southgate shot, Milosevic scores. Now you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, I'm Chris Skoll. Joining me, Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And a man who isn't doing as well in Qatar as Richard Keyes, who is doing very well, very, very well in fact, and he talks about it on his blog, and in fact he's never had more viewers, and he's really glad he's not at Sky. It's Michael Mard. Hello. <laughs> Here we go again. Um, we, yeah, we've been tipped off that Richard Keyes has got a great blog, which we do need to read, but we haven't got round to it yet. Oh, uh, we will. I have. Oh, you have? I have. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's such a great resource. It's so close to parody. Like, it's fan fiction. It's incredible. Okay. I well, really maybe, recommend it. Maybe coming up we can do some kind of dramatic readings of it with some nice music behind it. That might be a bit of fun. That is a fantastic um, new feature idea. Yes. But uh, before that, shall we uh, have some correspondence? I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Postbag. You've got mail. Uh, quick thank you to Nathan Drew, who, uh, when we said, does anyone collect programmes these days? He said he does, and he is an 11-year-old fan of the pod. 11! Whoa. <laughs> Not just that, he collects programmes, but also, he was born in 2009. He's listening wow. to this pod. How, how much does he understand? When you were 11, if you'd listened to a radio show that was purely about 70s football... Actually, Michael, you probably would have, wouldn't you? <laughs> Would you have enjoyed that? In my teens, I might have. I remember watching Match of the 80s, hosted by Dennis Waterman. I'd obviously watched my Liverpool Team of the Decade video from the 80s. So there was an element of enjoying football from before I was... Well, I'm sure he gets... Like, the football content's good. That's universal. He's not getting much from obscure Bill references, surely. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he's a historian. Maybe we're considered, like, a historical text now. Oh, God. It's like watching horrible histories. I, d- I don't think I really liked football from the 70s when I was growing up, no. like, enjoying 90s football. I remember when I had Danny Baker's own goals and gaffes. If he would show a goal from the 70s, I'd be like, oh, I just want to get through this to some more uh, contemporary own goals and gaffes. <laughs> gaffes weren't as funny on a muddy pitch. Um, I've got, I was thinking about this this week, and I, ha- I don't know if... Someone actually picked us up on it in an email, which I realised... 
Uh, they said, I particularly enjoy uh, the bit of the podcast where Josh says, have I said this before? But... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm going to say it. I don't give a fuck about us winning the World Cup in 1966. It means nothing to me. What? That's insane. In fact, I'd go as far as to say it annoys me that we did. I'd prefer it if we hadn't won the World Cup. <laughs> I can't believe How has this not come up? Because Mate, I mean, I've it's always one thought of our greatest it, never critical, like, Oh, come on. We didn't even score the third goal, right? Um, <laughs> I just... I can't wait for the Twitter and email. I don't care. I don't happen. care. All the people that were there, they're not even on Twitter, right? I'm not on Twitter, so it doesn't matter to me. People think it kind of defined English football. I think it's an anomaly. It's like the it's the bit where there's nothing like English football. Also, all I want out of football is to see England win. I'd take the European Championships, but ideally the World Cup, far more than I'd want Plymouth to win the Champions League because you can share it with your friends, etc., etc. And to know that that's happened and I wasn't there is of no consolation to me. It's like someone telling you about how good a party you weren't invited to was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's an interesting take. I kind of get where you're coming from. I will say this. Winning the World Cup in 1966 is our greatest footballing achievement as an English nation. What about Le Tournoir? But what about when Michael Owen won World Football of the Year and then put it on a <laughs> rotating plinth in his hand? <laughs> and then kicked a toilet roll on top of it. Yeah. The thing I was going to say is the problem with 1966 is that we haven't won anything since. Like, we could celebrate, you know, I'd feel a lot more comfortable celebrating 66 if we haven't been banging on about it for over 50 years. Yeah. Or however long, yeah. And banging like, on about it is the correct thing. Like, it does nothing for me emotionally. It's like... It's like Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen. I don't get it. Oh, hold on, hold on, right. hold on. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! I, you were winning me over there, and you've just gone too fitted in one of my favourite songs. Oh, oh mate, it's. I was texting. Me and James have been texting all week about how we think Thunder Road is the worst song this has ever existed. Oh my god, Pompous <laughs> is not the half of it. You've just never wanted to escape. Small town, mate. Yes. No, I've never wanted to escape small town America in a soft top car because I'm not <laughs> from there. But it applies outside of America. To quote someone you can no longer quote, it says nothing to me about my life. Are England, are we as a nation when it comes to the World Cup, are we a bit like a sort of old man in his 50s who had trials once and just keeps banging on about it? Yes. It's like, come on, move We're on. fast becoming that man because we've got nothing else to really no, celebrate. No, but do you know who we are? We're someone whose dad had trials once. We weren't even there. We didn't even have the trials. In conclusion, thank you to Nathan for his email. (laughs) What I will say, that Bruce Springsteen song about us winning the World Cup in 1966 is world class. I'd love to hear, um, let's call that a bad take. I'm going to call Josh's take a bad take on both counts. I would love to hear listeners' controversial slash bad takes about 90s football. Well, it's kind of the sacred cows kind of situation. I think, obviously, I understand why you could disagree with me, but I think it's a well-reasoned take on why I don't get anything out of the 1966 win. Yeah. If anything... It just makes it more galling that we've never won it in my lifetime. I I can see that, but you're very wrong about Thunder Road. (laughs) (laughs) Right, do you want an email? Yes. Uh, This is one of my favourites we've had in a while. Um, Can I just say also, I know I say this a lot, but we've had so much great correspondence from people and 
genuinely, I look forward to reading the inbox, um, partly because I'm parenting 24-7, but um, also because, you know, there's so much great stuff. And we've got loads that we are going to read out. So if you haven't been read out, I do apologize. We're getting lots and lots, but do keep it coming. And we are going to catch up at some point and read out as much as we can. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right. We will come to AD Mike. But uh, this, we got this last week and it's gone straight to the top of the pile. This is from Andy Paddock. Hi, guys. Like most people, no doubt, I'm spending some time at present spring cleaning. Upon tidying the loft, I thought I would have a flick through some old match programs. I'm reviewing the 1996 Coca-Cola Cup final program between my team, Villa, and Lees. I came across something that moulds two of your main topics, 90s footballers, and gladiators. There's a two-page spread with ex-Wimbledon and Villa man John Fashnu giving his verdict on what would happen should the gladiators be opponents of Aston Villa's players. (laughs) (laughs) So I've attached pictures of the pages. The first matchup sees Mark Bosnich of Biscuits and Milk Loving face up to Hunter in the wall. So what these pages are, He's putting up against each other a player from Aston Villa and a gladiator in one of the gladiator events and then saying who he thinks would win and how. Yeah, on board? Yeah, I'm on board. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I'll take you through some of them and then we can have some of them next week. So for each one, uh, I'll ask you who you think will win and then I'll give you Fash's view on who would win. Okay, Mark Bosnich versus Hunter on the wall. You're going with Bosnich, are you, Michael? Yeah, I'm going to say Bosnich. I think uh, the fact that he's a goalkeeper, he'll have good grip, strong yeah. hands, good good upper body strength. You're going with the gladiator by default, Chris. Yeah, so and I, I think Fash is going to put it all in favour of the gladiators. John's verdict. Can we have the music for gladiators under this, Michael? I would say that Hunter would win, but only by a nose, because he has a larger nose. But joking <laughs> apart... That's actually quite funny, <laughs> But joking apart, Hunt would beat Bosnich because the wall is his sport. Is it a sport? (laughs) Okay, so that's 1-0 to the Gladiators. Next up, well, judge yourselves. Next up, Paul McGrath versus Wolf in the Atlaspheres. (laughs) Bloodbath. Are we talking what year was this, sorry? You said 94. Oh yeah, Paul McGrath's knees are well gone by that point. He's getting destroyed. John's verdict. Atlaspheres would suit them because they're both getting on a little bit and they both use their brain and never get hurt. So I've put them in an event where they're not likely to get injured, but to just shake each other up. And the Wolfman can shout and scream to his heart's content and Paul McGrath can just get on with it. But I would always (laughs) put Paul as a winner because that is what he's always been, a winner. Prediction, (laughs) a win for Paul McGrath. (laughs) So that's one all. Villa versus the Gladiators. Andy Townsend versus Saracen in Hang Tough. (laughs) I'd love to see that. Okay, this is the decider. Andy Townsend versus Saracen in Hang Tough. We will, uh, there's more. I'll trail what we've got coming next week. But Andy Townsend versus Saracen, the decider, who you think is going to be? It's a tough one. Just for listeners, Hang Tough is the one with the hanging from the rings, trying to get past the other one, and the other one's got to kind of pull you off the rings. Townsend's a wily character, so I'm, I'm going to say Townsend. I've got to go Saracen. John's verdict. I would put Saracen to wing at Hang Tough because he has tremendous upper body strength, while Andy Townsend, mm. for his size, has tremendous leg strength going into a tackle, which has often got him into trouble, more times than not. But I can't find a leg game for Andy this time, so I'm afraid he will have to concede to Saracen. Prediction, 
a win for Saracen. It's an astonishing <laughs> article. We'll return to it another time because you will want to know who's going to win on Joust out of Dwight York and Trojan. <laughs> it's only taken us six series, but finally we're asking the big questions. We're finally asking the big questions and then they do meet. The teams meet on the Eliminator and Fash decides who would win that. So more of that at another time. So we've had a lot of discussion previously about um, the hot stars in the Merlin sticker album. We didn't cover uh, AD Mike's stats. Thank you to Stuart Laurie and many others for sending them in. Stuart was uh, the uh, first in the pile. So thank you, everyone. Some information on AD Mike as requested, or should I say Adrian Roosevelt Mike. Stats, 16 appearances for Man City, two goals. Nine appearances for Stockport, no goals. Loans at Hartlepool and Doncaster, who turned his loan into a permanent deal. 44 games, four goals. Then a tour around lower league before retiring in 2004. And then he followed Stuart Ripley into a career in law. Wow. Oh, wow. And now uh, someone has sent us a... He's a director of Falcana Private Jets, who, according to LinkedIn, specialise in charter fights for discerning business and leisure travellers. So there we go. That has summed up AD Mike for you. Can't believe someone's found his LinkedIn page. We have... (laughs) A, from these emails, come across AD Mike before because he was playing for Doncaster in that season uh, when we covered in the documentary with Tom Parry. Oh, really? Yeah, he was playing up front for them. Then. He scored four goals. He scored. Someone emailed in who was a Doncaster fan. I'm sorry if I've forgotten your name, but which I have. Um, <laughs> uh, someone emailed in and um, said the fourth goal was one of the great moments of Doncaster's history because they're like twenty points below or whatever. And it saved them from relegation for one more week. Uh, so he was considered a hero for one week. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think that's drawn a line under the Merlin stars. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, this is how you can do it. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin. And sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Okay, so for this week, we are looking at a video which is a kind of slightly homemade season review of the 89-90 season, but it's almost documentary-esque. I believe it was a a VHS that Manchester United fans could buy, and it's been sent in to us by loads and loads of different people on social media and on on our emails. And joining us to debate this magnificent piece of footballing history is the comedian Ben Clark. Our guest this week is a BAFTA-nominated filmmaker and one-third of comedy icons Pappies. It's our pleasure to welcome to Quickly Kevin, Ben Clarky-Clark. Hey, guys. How are you? I'm very good, thanks, guys. Good. We've watched a documentary. We made you watch a documentary. Yeah, you did. Wowee. What a journey. Astonishing, isn't it? I'd say it's our best ever documentary we've watched. It's so rich. It's so rich with content. I think the term documentary is very generous (laughs) in this context. I I knew it were like it was going to be good when Josh texted last night. Who's this for? Like (laughs) you can't really see who the the audience is, even though it's Manchester United. Even though it's yeah. And before that, we always ask, have you met a nineties footballer? Oh yeah. Well, here's the thing. I'm uh, I'm from the great city of Wolverhampton. And everyone in Wolverhampton has a anecdote about when they've met the great Steve Bull. Um, apart from me, <laughs> <laughs> never. And and I've even had like 
two close calls where oh, yeah. I've been in a pub and, and someone's been, Steve Ball was just over there. I'm like, no way! <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. Never the twain shall meet. So have, you ever, have you ever met any anyone famous? In oh, I'll tell you what, actually, no. I, this is this is a good one. When I, went, I was on holiday in Mallorca and, uh, in, in, in about the mid-noughties, and we were at the airport, just about to go home, and a load of security kind of ran through with ticker tape. It was a really empty airport, and uh, Real Madrid, bus with Real Madrid pulled up, and they all got off. Oh, wow. Walked through the airport. So we had front row seats for that. There was only, like, four of us who were like, hold on. And it's like... <laughs> So who would have been there? Like Zidane? Zidane, Beckham, Figo. Oh, wow. uh, Wow. Owen. The Galactica. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, absolutely Could you have gone up to them or was it the security? Well, you know, if you're in somewhere like Mallorca, you might just get a headshot. (laughs) (laughs) You just never know. Also, day before camera phones, what's to achieve? That's it. No no one's going to believe me. Yeah. But then, you know... You think one day I'm going to go on a podcast and <laughs> this is this is, is going to be gold dust. Did you? Um, we must have talked before about when we saw Ronaldo in Ibiza. I don't know if we have. I just I thought don't about think that. We have on the pod. No. What? Tell this story. This is a great. It was just great after story. Euro, two thousand one, two thousand sixteen, and we were in a beach club in Ibiza. And a boat pulls up and Ronaldo and his entourage get off. It got better than that because our waiter said to us, "There's going to be a footballer on the bed behind you." Oh, um, did and we were yeah. speculating who it was. And I think we settled on maybe Ian Wright. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't, he was so, I the waiter was excited. Famous enough in and there, was, there was only one better footballer in the world, <laughs> it could have been. <laughs> and then Cristiano Ronaldo, you're like, it's the best footballer in the world, I think. Yeah. Time. But when he walked, have I remembered this wrong? But when he walked through the beach club, he got a spontaneous standing ovation. Yes, he did. People started clapping. and <laughs> stood up and just applauded him through. I mean, yeah, what else can you do? <laughs> he pulled up in his super yacht, got off, and then went for lunch, then got back on it again. He didn't yeah. use that bed behind us. We no, never, he didn't use the bed behind us. In terms of proximity, that we never got that. so time. awkward, though, if he'd been on the bed behind us. Wasn't he with the film star as well? He Was with, Was it Eva Longaria or something like that? If I remember she, that she right. She wasn't there with him. She wasn't there with him, but yeah, then... Because uh, uh, we then followed his trip to Ibiza through the papers. Oh, right, I thought you were just like, <laughs> quick, get on the pedalo. <laughs> <laughs> through the telescope we had. <laughs> and so he, uh, he then partied with Eva Longaria. Right, right. They do that weird thing, like famous people like that, where they'll go to, like, a super club and then they'll just, like, sit and have a drink in the super club in the corner and you're like... What's in this for Cristiano Ronaldo? <laughs> it's a really strange thing. Um, did you watch the um, the big documentary on they did about Man City? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were interviewing Aguero on that, and it just feels like he's got the saddest life in the oh, world. Oh, yeah. That is really sad, actually. Have you it's seen it? Like, not seen it. Why? What's, no, I've... It's just like he doesn't really have any friends. His family are all out uh, still in uh, South America. So he's just like, they're like, well, what do you do? And he's like, well, I just kind of... Well, I don't really like films, so I just kind of watch, just kind of watch TV. Yeah. So he's got this amazing house, Huge and he's house. like, I sit on that beanbag, watch. A bit of TV. <laughs> yeah. I think he, I think Otamendi's his only other yeah, friend. Yeah, Otamendi's oh. around his house. So he's like, oh. so Otamendi sometimes comes around, and we just just watch watch some TV. It's like he's a sort of Disney princess in this ivory tower, like Rapunzel. Like he's, just, he's only allowed out to score gold. Like, Send him back to this white. Prison. And they only do that on occasion. It's like sit there, and when we need three goals, we we'll just bring you on. 
pop him in and then get oh, back in the room. Odds Mendy might be sold. And his, he's gonna, oh, his only no. friend's going to be sold this summer. So oh. it's that thing you think, oh, this must be the most amazing lifestyle in the world. But actually yeah. you go, yeah. And then on top of that, like, you can't really have a drink either. Like You think, God, that, maybe that would just break it up, break up his week a little bit. But you can't really even do that or have a pizza. No, that's so you're just, it. You're just in this castle. I'll have a pizza. <laughs> right. Manchester United, behind the scenes at Man United 89. I don't know if that's the name of the documentary. That's what it's listed as on Yeah, no, it's not. It's So we should give a tiny bit of backstory. Yeah, there's a sort of three-part documentary uh, on YouTube, which is it's labelled behind the scenes at Manchester United, but did a bit of deep digging. And the official title is Manchester United, the inside story, brackets 1989. <laughs> And it turns out it's part of a home video collection. In the late 80s, early 90s, Manchester United did this thing where it's like a subscription service called Manchester United on Video, where you pay a monthly fee and you get sent these videos every month, or you could go to Wolves and buy them. But I think this was the first incarnation of that, basically. And from what I can tell, based on who we had signed, Neil Webb, and who wasn't there, Paul Lintz, it takes place over a sort of three-month window in the 89-90s season. It yeah. feels uh, like it's two days max when you... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised you say that. It does feel like two days tops. Well, it's, it's not on... the Part three, the end is missing, and the end of that video is like a two-minute montage of when we beat Arsenal 4-1 on the first day of the season. Oh. So that kind of ages it there. <laughs> and then, yeah. obviously, we just signed Neil Webb, which we'll come to, and he was signed in that summer transfer window. So it's it's probably filmed over a period of a, of a few weeks. Right. Yeah. But this is also pre-success Fergie so we've not won the FA Cup by this point he's been there for I think this is his fourth season in charge or fourth coming to his fourth full season so you know United are not the big club that we know them as now very much a team in transition I think to give a feeling for the documentary well, let's describe the start. They play a game on a pitch so muddy. It's so 90s, isn't it? It's that, so... that pitch just looks like a puddle. Yeah. The whole thing. A... When they come off, they're caked in mud. Yeah. It never happens. Their there. legs just covered in mud as you don't see anymore. And then they all just get in a plunge bath. Again. Yeah. Well, no, there's a bit... When they walk into the changing rooms, the camera kind of slowly zooms in on a horseshoe nailed above oh, the yeah. door. Right. Well, good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I imagine that, it's that. Nobody really see that anymore, do you? Yeah. Not, that's how they put their boots on. Just nail, <laughs> nail them to the bottom of their feet. So they did it. Plays them. So they did it in the late eighties. <laughs> so then you have this plunge bath. I didn't really know that footballers actually did do that. No, it was a hell of a moment for me, and I thought, well, this is going to be this is going to be more of a revealing documentary than yeah. I thought. Because it starts with a gratuitous arse shot, <laughs> yeah. which is not needed of a man. Get, you can't see who it is. Yeah, but they've got the probably because it's the start of the season. He's got the tan line where his shorts would have been. Yeah. He's got quite a white, pasty arse. Yeah, well, getting... it was so pasty, I thought he was still wearing shorts when I first watched it. <laughs> also, when so all the players are in the bath, and you see one guy with his head just covered in bubbles, and then slowly he wipes a bit away, and you realise it's Mark Hughes. <laughs> and I, I never would have put Mark Hughes... That's like Mark Hughes having a laugh. Like, this documentary has totally changed my they opinion spl- of Mark Hughes. Mark Hughes does some funny splashing, which is... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest splashing I've happening? seen. Um, Mark Hughes really comes across as a laugh in this. Mm. I never thought he was a laugh. I thought he was really serious and grouchy. And yeah, but this the, isn't the Mark Hughes I thought I knew. No, but you've got to be aware that this is essentially a puff piece for Manchester United. <laughs> yeah, and it really is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But I don't think I've ever seen Mark Hughes smile, really. No. There's a lot going on in that bath. Like, Mark Hughes is <laughs> he's having a cup of tea yeah. in the bath. And then I'm pretty sure it's Brian McClare is, is washing his face with what I think is the communal soap. Yes, that's it. They're all like, they share a few laughs and the soap. <laughs> and you're like, oh, guys, come on. <laughs> 
Surely, I know you were a, you weren't the biggest team in the world at that point, but the you team... can shell out for a few extra bars, <laughs> can't you? Was this pre shower gel? <laughs> Like, I when don't remember shower gel? gel really kicking in until about 96, 97. Really? Also, when did the team bath stop becoming a thing? I went to I West Ham in the mid-90s. I on the way in with Michael, and Michael thinks that the teams still have a bath together. No. Surely they still do. No, I think you have ice baths. You wouldn't get in, like, soapy big bubble bath with the whole team in. I reckon. Not getting right. salads and Mane <laughs> in that. <laughs> Like I think things are more way more professional now. I'm sure that it's like I think uh, Spurs are just showers. I'm pretty sure West Ham are too. I mean, it's so unhygienic and weird. Yeah. Also, like you don't want a long soak in a hot bath after again. That's not no. good. These are highly tuned professional athletes. <laughs> don't like, want a cup of tea in the bath. <laughs> if we don't like the best thing for recovery is an ice bath, then you don't yeah. want to have a big hot bubble bubble bath after a game. Is surely the opposite. They're, of that. Just, it wasn't a bubble bath. What they're in? What Mark Hughes? He's yeah. covered in soap. Well, that's that's just the soap. That's yeah, the communal soap. That's just the communal soap. There's a layer of bubbles there. He's got like yeah. one of those bubbles hair things, you know, there. <laughs> that you do when He's you're got, like four years but old. But he has also got a bubble perm as well at the time. So. <laughs> Can I say as well, like Mark, Mark Hughes's hair is enormous in this. Yeah. It's a mane. It's, it's huge. So like it, I love Mark Hughes. There's another haircut in it that's just as baffling. I can't remember who it is. Bobby uh, Brian, Brian Kidd, Bobby Charlton's haircut is <laughs> one of the most. I know Bobby Charlton had a comb over, and we're all aware of that. But I'd never really seen the last days of the comb over. <laughs> I can't. I'd believe. only ever seen it when he was a player, <laughs> yeah. and now when he was bald. So this but is it's literally like two. It's like I couldn't since. believe it. I couldn't believe it. Like, late-era comb-over Bobby Charlton. It's literally three or four hairs. <laughs> and they're like, you can see they're thickly glued to his head. Like, they're glazed. It's like you can see the light reflecting Imagine. off the hair. Well, I wonder if it's just like one of those things where you just get it done, you get it done professionally, and then it just stays for... <laughs> Like six if it's weeks. the last few hairs, you go like, I tell you what, just prit stick those, <laughs> prit stick those mothers on. There's a shot of the um, the United boardroom of all the directors. Then you really see Bobby Charlton's comb over in all its glory, the late era, like right at the, the end of days. And I look to his right. There's another comb over. There's another Man United director sitting next to him, like they've put them together. Do you know- Absolute suck up that guy. <laughs> I bet he had a full head of hair. He just shaved it. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like what he's done here. I might, uh, <laughs> might try that myself. How it much have I pay you to get Bobby Charlton, Michael? How long have I got it for? Just until Man U next win the league. <laughs> uh, uh, like a hundred million. It's an astonishing look. I remember at school, we're not just going to talk about Bobby Cohen. Bobby Cohen over Bobby Charlton. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I'd mistakenly say when I'm him and it'd be like, you know, and you don't say it, don't say it. <laughs> Always been a fan, Bobby came over. <laughs> um, you know, I remember at school when I had an undercut and I'd had it for like three or four years and then everyone was going to the French crop, the short little spiky kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I've never heard it being called that. The French, the French crop. crop. The French crop, wowee. What, what no, in Wolverhampton. <laughs> no, that's it. <laughs> um, and I remember I knew I had to make this move, but like the, the pre, you know it's going to be... A, such a culture shock when you go in and you've got to deal with the change of haircut. Yeah. And I wonder whether Bobby Charlton's... He knows it's gone. 
but can't pluck up the courage to shave it. I have that day when he goes in, and everyone's like, oh, off it goes. <laughs> oh, it's gone, has it? Well, the comb over is so thin at this point. Do you think he's just phasing it out rather than doing that big jump from one to another? <laughs> one hair at a time, cuts <laughs> one hair off it each time. He's basically doing a Homer Simpson, isn't he? Because <laughs> at this point, he's got weeks left of that comb over. Like, it's yeah. so, it's almost disappearing before your eyes. It's yeah. like in Back to the Future where Mike McFly <laughs> gradually that's, that's disappeared. That's actually how Michael dated the video. It wasn't Neil Webb at all. <laughs> Counted the hairs so much. <laughs> like rings on a tree. <laughs> so, it starts with a plunge bath. No one talks for ages. Yeah. It's just narration for ages. Yeah. I was trying to work out what it feels like, the tone of the doc. And it's like a kind of thing you'd watch at school in geography class. Yeah. About what people do in their jobs. Yes, totally. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. it could have been any factory somewhere yeah. in yeah. sort of industrial and England. Yeah, absolutely. I-, I was thinking exactly the same thing. And you think, like, actually, I think any other profession would be more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just baffling. You're like, oh, here we go. Yeah. Man United is like the biggest club in the world. Full access. Full access. Let's see how they wash their kits. <laughs> the millions who support Manchester United see their team for just 90 minutes in a game which starts with the referee's whistle and ends as their heroes leave the field. But that's where our story starts. We go behind the scenes for the first time to follow the life of the club and discover a Manchester United you may never have seen before. The Manchester United of today. Um, it's like a kind of Troy McClaw video. Yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really also kind of assumes absolutely no knowledge on behalf of the audience. Like yeah. There's a bit where they cut to Sir Alex Ferguson and the narration is, Ferguson decides who will play every week. <laughs> You're like... <laughs> Do you know nothing about football? Like, are they explaining yeah, it to real... What level of football knowledge do you think... I mean, none. It... Surely none. Yeah, it's pretty entry level. I think about a minute in when it goes to the first press conference. And it blew my mind. He's just in the hallway. Yeah. Surrounded. It's a sort of press conference, if you watch the really bad movies allegedly set in the 1950s, and they're all huddled around in flat caps with like yeah. microphones. Yeah. I was like, this is, this is three years away from the Premier League. Yeah. That can't be how they have press conferences. It and, can't be. I know. Like, like the caps of like press tucked yeah. in with a card. Yeah. And they're, they're all running out to the payphone with a scoop afterwards. <laughs> well, there's a moment in this film after the first game, I think it's against Arsenal, and they're all the players coming to the sort of players' lounge afterwards. They all just get drunk together. If you've just been beaten by that team, I don't want to have a beer with but Tony But that's like Abbott. cricket, it's in isn't Arsenal it? As well, yeah. In cricket, they'll like, the teams will, they'll just, after the Ashes, they'll just all get together. I would never want to do that. <laughs> would you prefer to go in a plunge bath or have a Bobby Charlton comb over or have a drink with Tony Adams after 90 minutes I feel like the comb over is the least removed from the position in my life so I'd get there we're going for a beer at the end of the season with all the other football nostalgia podcasts you're going to have to sit in the corner aren't you <laughs> um so, uh, could it just say on the players' drinks as well? So, like, Man United and Arsenal hate each other this time. Yeah. They're all, also all drinking pints. Yeah. yeah. Like, again, we kind of know this, but it's so weird that footballers, like, all this preparation that goes into it, they're just necking pints after it. The, the way it happens, it reminds me of, like, a kind of... It doesn't look dissimilar to if your local football club had a lounge. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. it's not as removed from your local football club as it is from what I imagine the Man United lounge is now. Yeah. There's absolutely no glamour in this documentary. No. And I, and I know it's dated, but it's just stunning. You're just, like, them walking in, 
to a car park yeah, with no. their kit bags. It's like, it's just like, what was that? There was still money in it at this point. Yeah, wasn't there? What's there going was on? Money. I mean, there, there are still fifty thousand people going to watch or whatever. So I don't know where that money's going. <laughs> um, the wipes between shots need to be discussed. Oh, at one point there's a, a football that bounces across the table. <laughs> <laughs> So they've got, obviously, some new kit where it can do transitions between shots. And they've used all of the different ones. Yeah. My favourite, I don't know if you clock this one, is there's one where a previous screen gets rolled up into a kind of tube, which then goes down the toilet in the back of the shot. <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> the tra- amazing. But, yeah, it goes, like, they do all the different effects every time. There's no uniformity. I said that there was one where it's like a notepad on a paper. And yeah. They do it onto a guy's <laughs> notepad. Which, that was that was spectacular. Yeah. And yeah, the football across the table, which was oh, it's beautiful. so good. It's so good. Um, about ten minutes in, we get to what I consider like a kind of centerpiece of this whole thing, which is like contrived chats that you yeah. see. Yeah. So yeah. Fer- Ferguson and his backroom staff all like sat all facing the camera, pretending to have a, a natural conversation. Yeah. You know, in like Fraser. When they all come into a cafe and they all sit on the same side of the table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the Ferguson and Archie Knox. Yes. Side, which you're obsessed with, Michael. Well, if you think about who Archie Alex... Knox is his assistant at the yeah, time. Yeah, and is notorious, like, no-nonsense, like, nobody right. messes with Archie Knox. And obviously, I don't know anything about Archie Knox, really. Well, he was his assistant in Aberdeen, but he was just one of those guys, like, old school. You just knew not to mess with them. Right, and obviously, yeah. Alex Ferguson became this sort of, you know, the hairdryer treatment. Mm. But in this film, this documentary, you've got them both sort of being badly directed, like they're in a soap opera. Yeah, it's sort of like quite Eldorado, single, isn't it? A single camera, like, cutting between them. Yeah. Where they've clearly had to do pickups of their lines. Yeah, yeah. So you've got Sir Alex Ferguson <laughs> in a room with someone going, can you just talk about, like, the team again, Sir Alex? <laughs> and then they go, just hop, just wait, Archie, just wait here. Yeah. <laughs> pick up your line. And Archie knocks, you can see him there, he's just like, what the f***? <laughs> But it goes but on throughout. You, I think it's shot with one camera. Yes, it definitely so is. So they've oh, had really? to do all of Alex Ferguson's and then all of Archie Knox's and then like cut the them master. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Punch yeah. in for the singles. And, and what's, what really made me laugh is quite early on you see about three big conversations and then it seems like they've just gone, actually... Fuck this. <laughs> You're not allowed. We're not doing that anymore. And so they're like, oh, let's go. Let's go down to the laundry room again. <laughs> so Sir, Sir Alex is clearly acting out some of these things, but I actually thought he's quite good at it. You, know, yeah. you, can, tell, you can tell he's acting, but it's good. Like, he's yeah. not terrible. I'd say he's the best of all, all the, the characters that turn up. All the characters. <laughs> the best conversation he has is he gets a phone call. Oh, and they it's a do classic. They do a thing where he answers the phone, and they've got a camera on the on guy at the, the other guy. end of the yeah, phone. Yeah. So there's a cut between the two phone calls. I can't even remember what the phone calls about. Well, I know what the phone calls about, mate. Was it's it's a lost kit, which you go like, come on, guys, that can't be a thing. <laughs> it's like, oh, we've we've lost one of the kits, and then Archie is like, uh, he's probably nicked it. <laughs> From club spokesman to troubleshooter, Alex Ferguson handles all the problems. And these can range from an important transfer request to something as simple as a lost shirt. By the way, boss, there's a strip missing from Saturday's match. Oh, maybe someone's got a fan autographs or something. You checked with the players? Uh, don't, don't let him kid you on. I mean, he'll have sold that strip himself. I mean, he's got enough right. of that Aladdin's cave as anyway, too. You better get across here right away and explain yourself. <laughs> 
and then there's absolutely no resolution to it because, of course, like it would just be like, well, fucking buy another one. What are you making me for? <laughs> what do you reckon would have happened if that actually happened? The kit man rings the manager to go, I've lost a kit. Well, the manager <laughs> should go, this isn't mine. <laughs> this isn't my remit. That is nothing to do, do with me. Get off the fucking phone. <laughs> yeah. I'm busy, you twat. The thing that blew my mind with the kits, it's a tiny bit later on, I think they go and visit like the kit ladies who run it. Yeah. They're, they're washing their international kits. Yeah, like, Jim uh, Layton's brought his Scotland goalkeeping shirt and these poor women in the bellies of Old Trafford are washing like the international shirts. Do, do you think that was contrived for the documentary or do you think that actually happened? Well, why would... So are we presuming that Jim Layton has played for Scotland yeah. and then at the end of the game he's kept his dirty kit and brought it back to Manchester to say wash this to say wash this <laughs> it, it's like when you play youth football and like your manager's wife is washing all the kit but again this is we're three years away from the Premier League <laughs> like, how is this still happening um, it's so mad Cause it, also you know the kit man phoning out his phone because he's lost a kit if that's your job the first thing you should do is yeah. I wouldn't be telling anyone if I'd lost a kit <laughs> let alone Alex Ferguson and Archie Knox um, around this time you also get a shot of the physio's room oh. and you see someone lying down and the physio just just like shining a torch on a player's leg which yeah. I didn't really understand isn't, isn't he shaving Mark Hughes' leg and then he shaves Mark Hughes' yeah, leg yeah that comes later yeah yeah shaves Mark Hughes' leg can I just say if people think we're jumping around here there's no narrative <laughs> no, no there's no. literally no, so nothing links to anything else. No, there's no story. No, there's no, there's no through line. There's it's no just a series of random stuff. Yeah, it doesn't matter what order we talk about it because uh, nothing yeah. leads to anything else. Of all the documentaries we've done as well, I think you can get away with not watching them to enjoy this podcast. But I would really say go watch this one because yeah. it's yeah. so much fun. They're so amateur. Everything's so amateurish. It's hilarious. What we to haven't watch. discussed is the facts that come up at the bottom. Unrelated facts about Manchester United, occasionally yeah. related. Yeah. But it'll be like, at the bottom it'll say, Manchester United have played games in the following countries or whatever. And they'll just come oh, up yeah. at the bottom. Really boring facts. Yeah. But also facts that I, I remember reading and going, I, I think I'd dispute that. <laughs> <laughs> so then you, you meet Brian Robson, oh, who's just, quite just, central. Oh, sorry. Just quickly. So when you meet all the laundry girls, they're washing the international shirts, and they've got pictures on the wall, and it cuts to one of the pictures on the wall, which is Steve Bruce at a sewing machine, while oh, yeah. two of the laundry girls are kind of around yeah. him, and he's like, he's like sewing some shirts. Amazing. <laughs> Steve Bruce comes out of this really well. Steve I really Bruce comes out of it really yeah. well. Yeah. I think all of the players come out of it quite well. Brian Robson's banter is superbly bad <laughs> so when they're in the laundry room and Brian Robson's there and a guy brings them four coffees and Brian Robson oh, says yeah. is it instant and I don't know whether that's a positive or a like <laughs> I can't work out whether Brian Robson in 1989 would instant coffee have been the best coffee I guess it's a new thing then right yeah so I don't mm. know whether Brian Robson wants instant coffee I, or I looks down only, on it I think the only level above instant was instant gold blend <laughs> <laughs> which there's no hope there no. Um, can we talk about the bit where they go to the ticket office and they talk about oh people can also book travel for the away games and a tiny kid comes up yeah. and goes can I book uh, can I book a coach ticket for the next game and the guy goes would you like the executive coach or the luxury one I was like well he can't afford the executive or the luxury <laughs> the kid goes I'll have the luxury one please <laughs> like, where, where are you getting the money from 
What was your birthday? But also, like, he's clearly a minor. Are they just letting children buy coach tickets to, like, away trips? It's like, yeah, is your dad coming? Like, are you supervising? <laughs> it's 400 miles away, this away game. I wonder what the difference is between the executive coach and the luxury coach as well. Because I mean, the man you get to see their coach, and it's not that and it's a bag of shit. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite bit in the coach is like it's got everything you'd need: cinema room, and it, the screen is about six <laughs> inches wide. Um, we meet the commercial manager in the first ten minutes. Yeah. And my favourite thing about the commercial manager, because I'd forgotten these existed, is did you see the clock on his wall? Oh, the big clock. The it big was watch. one of those ones that was a big watch. Oh, yeah. You know With a strap. A With big the huge Manchester strap. United watch. Oh, I remember them. Yeah, I'd completely it, forgotten them. And, and it's so out of place in this director's like office, because it's like <laughs> there's trophies, mahogany walls, and then it just you see in the corner a big plastic Man United watch with like, Old Trafford written down the strap. <laughs> Whose decision was that? So then, after ten minutes of stilted quietness, we suddenly music comes in. The soundtrack is absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's bonkers, isn't it? While just over a mile away, the club's main training headquarters is at the cliff in the Lower Broughton area of Salford. Daily training sessions usually start around half past nine and go on for two hours. This can mean a drive through rush hour traffic for the players who live some distance from the cliff, or simply a stroll down the road for many of the youngsters on the club's books who are in lodgings close by. It's so of the year, isn't it, that music? Well, no, it's, I think it would be dated even 89. Really? <laughs> Yeah, I, that's what I was thinking. When it comes later on as well, there's some there's some more bonkers ones when they actually yeah. have footage of a game, which oh, is few and far between in this documentary. Yeah, you think the actual bit you want to see, yeah. there's barely any of it. But and the they, game's made weird because you've got no sound from the game, you've just got music. Yeah. Um, also, they said they training begins at half nine and, and lasts two hours. And I think that's the first time I've ever had it confirmed to me. They, which kind of makes sense, because yeah. you can't expect people to do more kind of physical exercise but for more than that. knocking off at 11.30. <laughs> and also, this is pre-internet. This is generally sort of pre-computer games. All the things that consume people's time now. What are they doing with like the <laughs> rest of their day? I mean, <laughs> to go back to Aguero again. So he's got his, his days are filled up with two hours of stuff, and then he's back in his castle all day. Well, there's a brilliant. Oh, I moment. bet they train more now. I don't yeah, think they they'll, they'll do. be doing like stuff though, won't they? Yeah. Just watching like, video. If you have an ice bath, you can get back on it. But after a, <laughs> after a hot bubble bath, <laughs> exhausting. Yeah. There's there's a great moment when they're walking up to training, and I think the voiceover says, you know, sometimes the players get stuck in traffic. The kids that stay in digs can walk down the road, but a few of them fans are outside and they're walking, and someone will go like, you know, Brian, Brian, can I have a photo, and then they'll just pause. The person will take a photo and then they'll carry on walking. <laughs> but it's weird to see a world like pre-selfie where people only take pictures of the player but like never with, <laughs> never get never it with themselves. themselves. Yeah, I remember yeah. like having pictures as a kid. It's like, I had a picture with Michaela Strachan. But it was just a picture of Michaela Strachan. <laughs> like, I wasn't in the photo. So you go, yeah, yeah, I took that. I took that one. <laughs> also, like, loads of fans. So the players park their cars and there's just fans all in the car park. Yeah. Like, that's a real insight. It's kind of pre-Premier League era. You just yeah. turn up the training and just wait in the yeah, car park. Presumably now the car park you wouldn't get near it. Security. Yeah. yeah. Um Mark Hughes watches training because he's injured. Out out of the window morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the window <laughs> with ice on his ankle. 
I really felt, for the first time in my life, I felt sorry for Mark Hughes. But I don't <laughs> think you should be... Is that what they do when they're injured? I don't believe for one second. Mark, well. get by that window, come on. You're injured, sir. <laughs> Just go have a look. Everything about this film is so staged. All yeah. of these vignettes are so yeah. sort of produced and crafted. That never happens. And also, like, there's a moment where I think Steve Bruce clears the ball... And then it's one of the only bits of footage they've got where they'll cut back to Mark Hughes and he goes, oh, good shot. And you're like, good shot. That was a defender clearing it in his own area. That wasn't a strike on goal. Yeah, it is so contrived. You can't tell what's real and what's not. Like, yeah. is the kit man really losing the kit? Is, <laughs> no. is Matt, Alex Ferguson actually the manager? <laughs> um, we then get into the youth side of things. There's an amazing moment where Nobby Styles is being interviewed and um, he... In an absolute slam on Wales, says that they uh, get uh, we get youth players from England, Ireland, Scotland, and wherever. <laughs> <laughs> and Ryan Giggs must have been coming through at this oh, point. Yeah. So I really wanted to recognise the kids, yeah. the, the youth players, but I didn't. Didn't recognise any of them. No, there was a bit they talk about um, how they they also like pick the best young players from other clubs, and they say like Lee Sharp was signed from Torquay, and there's a quote from you hear Lee Sharp like voiceover say, "Yeah, I thought the training here was a lot better than at Torquay." <laughs> like, well, you'd hope so. <laughs> <laughs> if, it were, if that weren't the case, how bad must it be at Torquay? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they I mean, do it, one hour at Torquay. <laughs> I mean, you must be over the park at Torquay, innit? Here's some footballs, mind the dog shit. It's amazing if you think that what we were seeing then was probably the seeds of the class of 92 was being planted there, that kind of focus on youth. And there's a moment, I think, in part two, we go to Chief Scout Les Kershaw is there on the phone. Les Kershaw? Les Kershaw. (laughs) (laughs) She's the one that convinced him to sign skulls. And I think the voiceover says something like, you know, and Chief Scout Les Kershaw... um, you know, he wants to make sure that the players that they're going to bring in have got all the right qualities. And then there's a bit of upsync, and he goes, does he get his tackles in? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah. That's a question you'd ask over the phone to know if a player is good enough. Does he get his tackles in? Yeah, what does that even mean? Really? Yeah, I don't know. I think that... But it must mean something. Um, <laughs> there's another great little bit where it's like three kids, and, 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 and like I guess one of the junior coaches or something like, he's going, do you like the coaches? And the kid's like, yes, yes, the coaches are very good. Like a hostage video. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like what do you think you've can- learned? Yeah, everything. (laughs) Have you improved yet? Where have you improved? Everywhere, everywhere. Are they treating you well? Yes, we eat three meals a day, right down the barrel. So weird. By the way, Nobby's glasses are a work of art. They look like a pair of binoculars. It looks like he's actually scouting, right? The youth development officer's a weird bloke. Yeah. So there's all these kind of ex-footballers, and then... 17 minutes in, you get the youth development officer who's like this old posh bloke. I actually thought, I've never heard of a posh, like a really posh northern person. Like he had like, he had a really northern <laughs> accent but really posh at the same time. It was really weird. Um, we have scouts in all areas outside of Greater Manchester. Say a boy is spotted 13 and a half, then at 14 you can sign him on a schoolboy form, which means associates themselves with a football club. Between 15 and 16, in his last year at school, he can play for our B team. That's our fourth team. Then, assuming he's progressed well and you offer a trainee playership, he leaves school at 16, then he becomes a junior professional. He plays in the A team, then he graduates to the reserves, and hopefully by 18 or 19, he's made the first team. He feels like a baddie in a CBBC Bond show. Bond yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The demon headmaster. Yeah, he's like the demon headmaster or something. <laughs> If he came to sign my son, I'd be like, 
this guy's fucking weird. <laughs> There's no way I'm signing him over to this weird bloke. It's funny as well to look at this because I thought, well, this setup, there's like five people and they're just scouting some areas. And you're like, well, this is quite obvious and basic. But this setup created the best generation of young footballers ever. Ever, possibly. Yeah. And you're like, if anyone else had just done this, they would have jumped but over you. You've got to understand how advanced it was, because at one point, is it Nobby Styles or someone, implies that when he was a youth player there, they used to train on the gravel between the pitch <laughs> and the stand. <laughs> like the yard of gravel between <laughs> the, the pitch and the like, How did you train? <laughs> and then he said... Also, guys, you know, with a leather football... You can't play on gravel. It scuffs it. Yeah, <laughs> that football's gone. You know, when, when you were younger, if, the one kid had the nice ball and he'd be very specific about where you could play. It's like, yeah. it has to be on gravel. Yeah. There's no way this is coming on the playground. Do you remember, like, by the end of term, footballs would just be that the fabric out? Yeah. Like, all the leather would have completely peeled off. Oh, but it was nice when it was coming off and you'd pick the leather off. Oh, I'd love yeah. that. With those balls, if the bit wasn't fully off, a glancing header, that was going to open you up like a razor. <laughs> I've forgotten the sensation of heading a ball with a leather flap flying yeah. off it. Yeah. And do you remember, like, the leather went and then the fabric underneath it went, like, the inner ball, the rubber, <laughs> yeah. would sometimes come through yeah. one of the hexagons. And Basically, like... the ball got a hernia. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, it then comes to one of my favourite scenes. Possibly my favourite scene. I think the kit man is my favourite scene, which we'll come to. But we then see Brian McClare and Mark Hughes. Is it Mark Hughes? Yeah. Playing golf. And Brian McClare is in jeans and a Waterboys t-shirt. <laughs> Likes his music. Likes his music. Yeah. Likes his music, yeah. Do you think Brian McClare's bought that at a gig? Because it's one of the ones with the tour dates on the back. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's got that outside for a fiver. <laughs> <laughs> it, it comes up later on, though. Like, uh, Brian Roberts is like, oh, we play cards on the coach, but Brian McClare will just listen to his music. He's into his music. Yeah, yeah. and then he goes some pretty weird stuff. Yeah, that's it. He's got a Waterboys t shirt. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, like, what's. I would. I, I so wish to have known, like, yeah. what is the music? Some weird stuff. You know, it's going to be like some early hip hop or something. Yeah. They're going to yeah. be like, oh, yeah. what's this? <laughs> yeah, it's, Get this off. It's not <laughs> Captain Beefheart. It's not like. <laughs> Brian McClare saying, I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are going <laughs> to Also, am I wrong? At one point, do we see Steve Bruce buying a Manchester United woolly jumper in the shop? Yeah. But he's haggling like it's a Moroccan market. <laughs> he's, going, he's, like, he's going, oh, do us a good, will you do us a good price for this? It's, it's, like it's, that, it's on the tag, Steve. <laughs> it's like that episode of The Apprentice where they have to get the ten items. <laughs> Players are in constant demand, be it from supporters who simply want an autograph or from companies looking for a celebrity. And they even find themselves on call when the club itself is launching a new line in its own boutique. So you're going to do me a good deal on that one, eh? I'll do you a good deal on that one. Right, you are. OK, well, uh, OK. OK, fine. And then... You see Brian McClare and someone else go get their wages, which is an astonishing yes. little yeah, cutscene. Jim, Jim Layton, yeah. So he gets his wage slip, and then he says to Jim Layton, you haven't been to collect your wages, so it is about four months' yeah. worth. <laughs> <laughs> I wish as well we knew how much they were getting paid. How much do you oh, reckon yeah. they were getting paid? I reckon they're on 50 grand a year, the best players. Brian McClare's probably That's on... That's why he was just, haggling just in the shop. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, mate. Can't afford a branded one. <laughs> 
Um, it is weird, that scene. Jim Layton, how old would Jim Layton have been at this point? He look, I mean, they all look, we've said this before, but they look so old. Yeah. I was looking up some of their ages. Like we were saying, Mike Phelan looks... When they sign Mike Phelan, and he looks like a 40-year-old driving instructor... <laughs> And he's 27. It's mad. Wow. Imagine if he was 27 now. A moustache ages you terribly, obviously. But Jim Layton... Now he tells me. <laughs> Jim Layton was 29. No. Wow. Mad. 20. He's in his 20s. But goalkeeper, a Scottish goalkeeper, I mean, that's it doesn't get much hard, harder upbringing than that. <laughs> I mean, that is a tough paper round. <laughs> then we get a very small clip of the Miss Manchester United. Oh, contest. I'm fascinated oh, yeah. by it. Is it Sir Matt Busby handing out the prize for is Miss it? Man United? I couldn't tell you. It flashes it up on the screen. Sir Matt Busby. <laughs> um, and then we see a little bit of the, the Man United Museum. Yeah. And um, there's a shot of the different mannequins wearing different kits. Yeah. And they've got the one from Newton Heath, the yellow and green one. And then for the mannequin wearing the Newton Heath, they've just popped a Victorian moustache on it. Like one of those Victorian strongman things. Yeah. And you're like, who decided that? It's, it's so strange. It's such an amazing scene because like, as they go into it, they're like, the museum's open every day of the week, apart from during match days, because it can't uh, take the amount of people who want to go into it. And then you see into it, and it is just like a tiny room with one cabinet with like four mannequins in, and they've got four guys and uh, and like the guy who's like taking them round, which is basically just stood there in front of this cabinet. And then like in turns they go, so what's that one? And he answers him, and then he's like, okay. And then another one goes, so what's that one? <laughs> well, like, so what's that one? And then you go, yeah, well, that's the, that's the museum. <laughs> well, speaking of those players, those youth players that it's obviously brought in, I'm pretty sure one of them is Sean Gota. Like, is uh, it? Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Ah. Go bring it up. And I, and I, and I, look, I was looking at it, I was like, I recognise that guy. And I was like, that's definitely Sean Gota. So I went into Wikipedia and he basically was at United. Yes, like, 1989. During that, during that time. Yeah, yeah, he was a trialist and then he left. And it fits perfectly with that summer. That is an amazing spot. So then we get to the kit man. Oh my! That God. is the, just the club the best quartermaster. Bit. The club quartermaster. Club quartermaster, yeah. and that is also a quarter of the documentary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They stay with him for a good 10 minutes and it's like a 45-minute documentary. It's so long. It's astonishing. The bit where he's putting the kit into the thing to go away and he's just listing what's going in yeah. is mind-blowing. But the first, the second thing he puts in there is a toolbox. Like He's got his own tools. And I was like, yeah. well, this actually is... Be, if the second thing's a toolbox, I was not expecting that. Yeah. And then the rest is exactly what you'd expect yeah. to be in a kit box, but it takes 40 minutes to kind of get yeah. there. But he's talking through everything. And at one point, he puts in two big bundles of shorts and he goes, well, we've got, we've got um, size sixes and we've got size sevens because... Um, well, some of the lads have a different size short. <laughs> some of the others. You're like, guys, if this stayed in, what the fuck is on the cutting room floor? Right at the end of that, he puts in a like a pack of briefs, he calls them. Yeah. Are they wearing club pants? Like, would you not want to wear your own pants like to a, to a game? <laughs> right? I think that's the case now. But they, they wear special pants. Do that. Yeah, they don't wear. You don't wear your own pants. Oh, yeah, I know that. They wear special. <laughs> yeah, no, everyone has their own. Yeah, you get like club issued pants. I'd love to hear the phone call to Alex Ferguson when one of those goes missing. <laughs> Basically, this is what you require in the skip for an away match. This is a set of long sleeve shirts. 
This is a set of short sleeve shirts, which are required because some players wear short sleeves, some wear long sleeve. This is the goalkeeper's kit. Undershirt, which Jim warms up in. And his favourite blue shirt, which he's had for about 10 years. And if I didn't pack that, Jim wouldn't play in the game. These are the shorts, size 7s and size 6s. They have different sizes because different players take different size shorts. These are the match socks, 16 pair. These are the briefs. It's such a good bit. <laughs> do, you, do you not think as well when he cut those, he's showing the boots they wear on match days, those studs are huge. Yeah. Well, like yeah. those boots really different to boots of today. Like the studs are so long. Yeah. I guess pitches yeah, are no, just they, better they now. They do look like they do a real harm to Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, they look lethal. Then we get to the kind of business end, which is we get to go on an away game. I love this. Which I, is, that's probably the best bit yeah. in terms of actually being interesting and actually feeling real. Yeah, prior to this, it's all been very much of a sort of pre-season vibe. And um, so we see oh, they're on the coach going to the away game. We see, we see Brian, Brian Robson leads the card school. He explains who's in the card school, who's rubbish at cards. A little, terrible bit of banter. I get the feeling that they're, they're the bullies. Yeah, yeah oh, 100%. They're, they're the cool kids. Can, um, I, can I play cards? No, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> you got Listen Brian, to your music. <laughs> Brian McClare listening to his music. He's obviously into his music. Yeah. And then he cut to Clayton Blackmore. He's playing a golf game like, yeah, a little, like, uh, yeah. like a really early yeah. ga- no, Nintendo like, Game Boy with like the one game on it yeah. yeah they used to buy a thing where it'd just be one game and it'd like yeah. fold open like a dot matrix style yeah. golf game I don't know about you guys like when we would go on a school trip a coach trip the kid that had that was a rock star. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh my gosh, you've got one of those. But I bet that's not the case at Man United. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Brian Robson was really taking the piss. Yeah, you know. went and played rummy. <laughs> <laughs> um, the physio in this point, I must have got this wrong. The implication, the physio's phoning ahead, the implication is that he books the hotel and yeah. sorts all the meals out. Yeah, it looked like he was running that whole away trip. So he's on the phone and he's saying, can you get us the rooms in a quiet bit? Wasn't he, doesn't he say something yeah, like that? Yeah, and you think, surely you should have thought that before you're on, on <laughs> yeah. your way to you're the ten hotel. minutes away. They're clearly running this club at an absolute skeleton <laughs> <Yeah>. crew. <laughs> You it's like they they phoning Alex Ferguson about kits. They've got the, <laughs> got the physio book in the hotel. He also says the physio's responsible for like all the food as well. And you see a scene of him going up to the restaurant manager and, and ordering like 40 Dover soles off the boat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you clock what their dinner was uh, washed down with? No. It says, it says in, the, uh, in the voiceover, uh, their dinner is washed down with plenty of fruit juice. That's <laughs> <laughs> it. With the implication of... These guys are ahead of the game sports <laughs> science. Well, I'm always fascinated in these documentaries, like how close to a game that they eat their food. And they're like, uh, they sit down for their pre-match meal two and a half hours before a game, and you're thinking, what are you eating? And they say something like, uh, pre-match meal contains light, easily digested food, yeah. cut to a massive plate of spaghetti bolognese. Yeah. <laughs> and Steve pile Bruce is tucking into like a pile of yeah. bread. <laughs> It says well, no, I was a bit sluggish today. <laughs> I don't know why. It says that the favourites, and these are three things I presume not together, are pasta, toast, and plenty of beans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. Do you think that means what? baked beans? I mean, whatever beans were there in the 80s. Uh, the music for the match is unbelievable. I think there's a couple of great Mark Hughes volleys in there as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
It's it's a weird decision. They clearly couldn't clear the commentary or something, so they've had to get rid of all the sound and replace it with... Yeah. You've missed a bit just before the game. Steve Bruce has a, a late fitness test. And I never, oh, I, yeah. I never knew what a fitness test... <laughs> I, I never knew what a fitness test was, and I, and I presume it's not this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but he goes to him, right, run, stop, check, walk a bit, strike, we like pretend to kick a football, right, run again, and then he goes, right, how'd you feel? <laughs> And he's like, yeah. yeah. I can feel it. And I goes, can feel it, but I think I'll be all right. <laughs> well, I love it. It's also, it's, it's seemingly it's just on the lawn outside the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought a fitness test is like, maybe they like, like running on a thing with like things yeah, attached yeah. to you that yeah. are giving you readouts. Yeah, from, totally. Yeah, like Ivan Drago in yeah. Rocky Four, yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Like people with white coats and clipboards <laughs> and like, like you're running on a wall and stuff. Like, wow. Come on, you. Out no. to the car park. <laughs> Run a bit. Touch your head. Uh, right, right go over your mash and chips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll be all right. Um, so that, that the end's kind of the, the highlights package. And it, the, the first, I think it's the second highlight, is the longest highlight. It's not a highlight at all. You're like, why is this in it? It's, like, it's going to end in a goal, but they've obviously got, gone to the build-up way too early. And then it just ends in a nothing shot to the keeper. Yeah, he just like there's like a defender who like lumps up a massive ball and it just goes to the other team's defender. Jim Layton does a kick from his hands and it goes to the edge of the opposition penalty area. That doesn't happen now, does it? So I met the Plymouth Argyle goalie coach when I was at Argyle and he said, I was talking to him about, he used to play for us and the manager was yeah. David Kemp, who was a big long ball manager. And the first time when David Kemp took over, he said, right, what I want you to do with your kicks out, we've got a big striker who'll get under them, but... I don't care how far it goes, but it needs to have 3.5 seconds in the air. Basically, hang time (laughs) to allow the strike. So then David Kemp took him out onto the practice pitch and he just kicked the ball as high as possible. Kemp had a stopwatch and he'd make him try and reach 3.5 seconds with his kicks. Isn't that mad in those days? And the theory being that the strikers then got time to sort of... Yeah, so it's not about how long it is. It's about... The big number nine has got needs three point five seconds to get, to under, get under the ball. He's the tallest player, so it's going to reach his head first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I loved as well. You see that uh, Steve Bruce and Brian Robson room together, and I was like, like Bert and Ernie or something yeah. like that. Like the camaraderie, I just loved it so did he, much. Did he spot the absolute banter? One of them does a hilarious joke of he gets into the wardrobe. <laughs> 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 and you're like, oh, yeah. hold on. Now we've got a live one here. Yeah. With the hotel rooms as well, it is a minor thing, and we've all had this problem. But Jim Layton, who's obviously never used a key card in a hotel before, yeah. so he goes up to the hotel door, puts his key card in, doesn't take it out, and then he's trying the door, and his mate has to pull the key card back out. That's basically the... me when contactless first came out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that more or less brings it to the end. Yeah, it? I loved it. Yeah. I actually, I really felt like they would seem like a great bunch of lads. Mark and Hughes seems seemed like great. A nice life to me. Yeah, it does. I think just because it's kind of before real superstardom, it's probably a nice time to be a footballer. Apart yeah. from the fact that you're probably going to break your leg running around the cinder track outside of Old Trafford. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think? Do you think they're ready on two hundred quid a week as well? <laughs> You've got to pick that up yourself. Do you think it feels annoying to them that they were? 
If you were one of those players, would you wish that you'd yeah, been so. born 10 years later? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I know players who are really bitter about that, especially because yeah. a lot of these, that era, they're all divorced. So what little they did have is now been halved and probably halved again if they've gone for the next wife. You've been listening to <laughs> Skull having a breakdown. <laughs> um, what did you think of it overall, Ben? Uh, I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was an it was an I thought it was an absolute beaut, and I will definitely be watching it again. And, and do you know what? As well, I thought I would recommend it to friends. Actually, yeah, I think it's and you can tell, like you know, I'd say even like three years later, like if you're making a documentary in '92, people are aware of the documentary format. But I thought there's a real naivety among the players. They're all laughing at the fact that they're being filmed like in these intimate moments. Like Brian McClare finds it hilarious when he picks up his wages and there's a camera there, yeah. and the way that kind of Alex Ferguson commits to this kind of charade of pretending. I if they did one in 1990. Alex Ferguson wouldn't have agreed. Oh, a hundred percent, totally agree. But it's it's great to see that kind of naive time. Like it's it's really yeah. amateurish and so much fun to see. I think that's the one shame is like it's clearly so much of a puff piece. It's it's at a time where Manchester United were were kind of struggling and the club weren't fully behind Ferguson. Yeah. So it would have been good to have had like knowing what's coming and you're yeah. like, oh my god, this guy's gonna it's gonna be the best manager in history. It would have been quite nice to have seen kind of a bit of the the realism of that yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to see the moment where Bobby Charlton commits to not having a comb over it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to be able to pinpoint that. I wonder if he went away for a bit. I think <laughs> Do you reckon he did it one summer? I think he, like, buried it. <laughs> <laughs> Under the centre circle at Old Trafford. I wonder if he said, like, his barber. I wonder if they said, I think this... It's think, gone, mate. It's gone. <laughs> it's, gone. It's, gone. it's gone. I've got to tell you that this last hair that's been on your head has not been attached on either side for <laughs> at least six months. Still was weird, right? <laughs> Because I'm just thinking about the logistics of the comb-over, because it's clearly like there's like five strands on the comb-over. But the kind of arch around his head is still thick. But the comb-over is grown from that arch. So sure, he is making... It has to be a conscious decision to gradually, like, phase the comb-over out. Because the source is still rich. You can still... You can still do it. He's making the decision to phase it out. It must be him phasing it out. <laughs> yeah. Or his barber. It's his barber, isn't it? Because yeah. by that point, he's had it 20 years. He's had it more than that, so he yeah. would have had it... I've never seen a picture of him with hair, really. No, no. no. Yeah. Like, so since the 60s, he's had that, so it's 30 years. Since birth. <laughs> As a bald baby, his mum was a bit embarrassed for him. <laughs> Does he believe... That is fooling anyone, or is it just a stylistic thing? Now, that's a great. Does question. he like? Would he talk about bald people? Is it like he got <laughs> like, 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 as others? Yeah, as others. <laughs> Do you think two guys with comb overs in that day would acknowledge it to each other? Oh, yeah, well, like, like that'd be uh, really Beatles interesting. Drivers, <laughs> little tip of the cap. <laughs> two boats passing in a canal. <laughs> It's fascinating, isn't it? Like the psychology of that. Why decision. also? Why do you just go from one side? There's the opportunity to grow both sides and get mohawk. You know, you could tie it in a knot, tie it in a knot over the middle, yeah, over no man's land. Up, like. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. When we started this episode, I didn't think we'd have 15 minutes on Bobby Charles. <laughs> also, also it's you're such a thing that. 
maybe you'd hear on Saint and Greavesy rather than <laughs> this podcast. But you're right, because not only have you got the other side, because it's like an arch, you can go from the back as well. <laughs> so it's like you've got three fronts over no, no man's land. <laughs> like you've got plenty of coverage. It's mad to pick a single side. Yeah. And also, what may, why pick that particular side? Did you try the other side first? Or did he have a... Did he have a side parting when he was going bald? Yeah. And so it just it remained. <laughs> it just like, whittled going. away it's gradually. It just whittled away underneath. Um, well, if well. you've got anything on that, get in touch. Hello at quicklykevin.com. I'm just looking at pictures of him now from the 66 World Cup. That, at that point, you can see... Actually, the come over's not that bad, that. It no, does look like a, it look, looks like a side parting. Yeah. Come the 70s, it's an absolute waste of everyone's time. <laughs> <laughs> um... Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was uh, Ben Clark, and that was an astonishing uh, video. I know. I know. We always say we're going to run out of these documentaries, but now we're even going for ones that didn't make it onto TV. But do you know what, as well, like, we spent the first few series doing all the kind of big obvious stuff, but actually what we're finding is the real gold is coming as we mine down deeper, deeper into even more niche subject matters and niche um, kind of video content that's out there. It's incredible the stuff we're finding. We're historians. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, time for the end of show quiz. Yep, you know the deal by now. The matching question in tribute to today's episode is the 1990 FA Cup final, the first match, the 3-3 draw. Chris, would you like to go first? Yes, please. Alan Pardew. Correct. Jim Layton. Correct. Mark Hughes. Correct. Brian Robson. Correct. Steve Bruce. Correct. Um... <laughs> Gary O'Reilly. Correct. Um, Paul Parker. Incorrect. Oh. Um, Mark Bright. Correct. Oh. Twisting the screw. Turning the screw, even. Um, oh, Brian McClare. Good one. Correct. Neil Webb? Correct. Oh, man. You're doing well. Very high standard. Is John, do we, have we had John Salako? No. I think it's too early for John Salako, but I don't have any other ideas. John Salako. Correct. Oh. Um, Eric Young, do you remember him? He played for Palace at that round that time. If he played for Palace, oh. he was not in the squad for this game. <sighs> Both got one life left. I've got an, I've got a funny... Fi- I've seen a picture of Clayton Blackmore with the FA Cup. I think you had it, Michael. I'm going to say Clayton Blackmore. I think that's a good answer. He was a sub. Uh. And he came on. <laughs> so, Chris, you pick again. Uh, I'm going to say Gary Pallister. Correct. Oh. Um... Have we had the Palace goalie? We have not. Nigel Martin. Correct. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Who was... Someone was talking to us about that Crystal Palace team. Someone was in that team. Yeah, but he wasn't in it. It was was Richard Shaw. Yeah. I've got this feeling that Mark Robbins may have been playing. But he scored the goal in the... To get them through on one of the rounds. I think he's in the video thinking back. 
he was a sub and he came on oh, so oh, pick again oh my god I've got two in my pocket both of which are probably wrong it's not one of those you can have a guess I'm literally scrabbling for players who may oh um, Lee Sharp incorrect oh, so to man. win it Josh for the win so I seem to remember there was a player who wasn't Andy Gray but was called Andy Gray you seem to remember correctly. Oh, wow. Because yes. I remember um, when Richard Shaw mentioned him, I remember thinking, I'm pretty sure that's not the Andy Gray, but I'm not confident <laughs> enough to roll with that in the conversation. Well, as an, an extra uh, thorn in the side, Richard Shaw did play in that game. Oh, did he? Oh, he talked about it, didn't he? Yeah, but let's be honest. We're all sat in our separate living rooms. Um we haven't put out this Richard Shaw interview yet, which was really great and we really loved. And it was a great day of Quickly Kevin because it was the day we did the Steve Bull as well and um, Carlton Palmer, which we also haven't put out yet. But um, it probably feels about 10 years ago now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> different life. It feels so different. Time is so abstract right now. <laughs> To remember whether one of the interviews we did that day included Richard Shaw being on the pitch at Wembley is. <laughs> uh, Josh, so you get to pick which song plays out at the end of the show. Well, I think there's only one song that can. Whatever the Manchester United song that was the FA Cup song that season. Well, that's it for this week, but we've got plenty more episodes coming up this week. Tomorrow, we've got the Quickly Kevin Film Club taking a look at the 1987 film Hot Shot, which stars Pele. And then... Wednesday, we have a best of Quickly Kevin with lots more great correspondence, maybe some more Gladiators versus Aston Villa events. Thursday is a quiz, and Friday is more best of Quickly Kevin. Thank you very much. Robbie Slater, see you later. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 